Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Here we are, you're very welcome to a new episode live, kind of live, from Info Security Europe here in London. We're at the Excel, and uh, I mean, you can hear in the background, the energy is good, the, uh, the excitement is here to, to bring people together to talk InfoSec, cybersecurity, all the things that matter to business, uh, whether they realize it or not, yeah. uh, sometimes not. Um, and there's a lot to consider when we're looking at uh, security from the network to the data to the apps and and of course we're going to have a good chat today with Robbie Pather uh, from, from Ericom uh, part of the Cradle or Cradle Points is part of the, the offering there as well uh, Robbie's having good to have you on the show thank you very much Sean thank you for having me and uh, yeah excited for this chat uh, maybe a few words about who you are what you do uh, at Ericom Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ravi Pather. I'm the VP of the European region for this exciting company called Ericom. We've just been acquired by uh, Cradlepoint. Cradlepoint are part of the Ericsson Group. So I'm now working for a $26 billion uh, uh, company that runs 56% of the world's 5G traffic and we are the cybersecurity division selling and focused into government and enterprises. So it's a really exciting time for us, not only from the investment, but generally the market and the interest in cybersecurity products, particularly addressing cybersecurity threats and issues. So there's a real interest in that topic right now, hence an event like InfoSecurity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, congratulations, by the way. That's, Thank uh, you. That's super cool. Ericsson's a good brand, and uh, Isn't they, it? they touch a lot of stuff. Yeah, they absolutely. Touch a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And um, so maybe, given that point, uh, kind of frame and scope where your solution fits into the enterprise. Uh, what, what parts do you touch, and and perhaps maybe in the, to start the the elevator pitch of what you do sure. and how that fits in, and then we'll, yeah. we'll dig a little deeper from that. Why don't I start off with where are the drivers coming from? Okay. Over the last few years, the adoption of cloud has been pretty prolific, and companies have all sizes, from small to medium enterprises, have been adopting various levels of cloud applications, cloud services of late driven by the likes of Gartner, Forrester and the analyst firms, security has transitioned from perimeter on-premise based security, now cloud-based security. If you look at the architectures in terms of applications, if you look at the workforce, the relationship with business partners and customers, they are all remote. So security needed to adapt and adopt these new architectures. So the market's been moving over the last five or six years to the adoption of cloud-based security right. solutions. That in itself has brought an awful lot of security products to market because the enterprises, governments, local authorities are quick to address the demand for the new changing architectures and adopt security. So if you look at a classic enterprise today, they have a whole 
uh, wrath of security solutions okay. from endpoint security to AV to malware to email security to threat intelligence to security operations that's a lot of security budgets that's a lot of security solutions these are a lot of point security solutions and that in itself gives a challenge to the enterprises in managing this these security solutions in a cohesive way but it's also given an opportunity to the hacker the hacker is one step ahead and I can talk about that in the next phase as to how is the hacker exploiting the vulnerabilities so the real question is if the enterprises are investing so significantly in security solutions the first question is are you still experiencing cybersecurity exploits right. if the answer is yes and it's inevitably yes if somebody says no I don't believe them or they are not aware of it right so it, if they are experiencing cybersecurity exploits the question is going to be why why are you still experiencing these cybersecurity uh, exploits if you're spending significant amount on different solutions that's the big question right I have an answer but let me you, you lead yeah, me no, to when yeah because it, it's an interesting point and uh, I mean, we're, we're probably not saying anything that somebody sitting in a in a, in a in a sock doesn't realize already right that they're yeah they're seeing attacks and, and some things are a little more progressed yeah in, in terms of how far they get in and how how far they spread once they're in um, so the, the question I have then is, well, how do we, how do we, are we reducing <laughs> the number of breaches or penetrations or exploitations, whatever you want to call them, the indicators of compromise? Are those reducing? Do you think? Or uh, I think they're increasing, and I think traditional security uh, is actually doing a good job. Okay. But as I said earlier, the hacker is probably a year to two years ahead he's moved onto another type of attack. And those security solutions are addressing known bugs. So if I step back and look at it, you have uh, known security attacks, and the security industry does a great job in looking out for those. Right. The security ops with threat in, and very advanced AI-based threat intelligence can spot the behaviors and identify potential attacks. That's where the security investment is going into, so known like attacks. The, the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah. Kind of yeah. There. What, what's, really good at the 80. What the security architecture, uh, architectures are not addressing are the brand new, what we call zero-day exploit. If I'm a hacker and I want to get into an organization, I'm creating what's called a zero-day exploit. In hour one, hour two, I'm launching that. So it's undetected, it's not known as an existing attack. So all of that investment, which is called signature-based detection tools, are ineffective at detecting a zero-day exploit. That zero-day exploit is created, launched, and, uh, uh, and the attack is made, then it's probably ripped up. But the issue is you've got to look at the security architectures and the current security architectures based on a detection-based security architecture. It's looking to detect known attacks and known bugs. Right. Even security operations, investing in AI technology, very advanced threat intelligence software, is looking for known attacks 
or something that could be wrong. The hacker is coming in under the radar. Right. He's creating a zero-day exploit. He's launching that immediately, potentially in a high probability of it being undetected. And I can talk about the types of zero-day exploits, but once that zero-day exploit is in under the radar, it's too late. None of those security operations solutions are detecting it. None of the signature-based detection solutions are detecting that zero-day exploit because it's new, it's unknown. Yeah. That's the challenge. That's yeah. the major problem for uh, uh, security architects today. All right, so we something finds its way in, it's successful. Um, we won't dwell on that point. Um, how do or security teams then deal with that? So the architecture, the security architecture addressing zero day is how do I, if it's going to be undetectable, how do I prevent the zero day exploit ever happening in the first instance? Right. That's the goal. If the zero day exploit is in, you don't know about it, it's too late. And there's the problem with the current security tools and architectures. They are looking for known bugs. They're not detecting the zero-day exploits coming in under the radar. And there's the big challenge. When you hear about the discovery of these attacks and data exfiltration is taking place or ransomware is taking place, the, the focus is how did the attack happen? You know, we've spent right. all of this money. How did it get in? And a lot of money is spent on trying to identify how did the attack happen. And it's quite embarrassing in many cases because it will turn out to be a phishing attack or credential theft from one of the executive suite or somebody inadvertently opened up a malicious document, none of which has any suspicions of that being the zero-day exploit, but it's as simple as that. So the discovery, weeks later, and a lot of investigation as to what happened, you can be traced back to something as simple as that. But as I said to your question, it's too late. Right. If the attacks happened and is now inside your network, it's too late. So the architect, you know, the architect. Why are doing all that investigation? Other stuff's happening. Something, and, and you know, this is factual. Yeah. After one attack is successful, word gets out in the hacker community. Oh, we've launched an attack, and you could be guaranteed. And evidence shows that subsequent attacks happen because they know this company has got valuable data, or some something can be monetized. Therefore, subsequent uh, zero-day attacks happen. So my, my argument is not to get rid of this detection-based security investment. That is really quite important, and it's preventing a lot of uh, potential attacks. The real answer is to build upon your security architecture and add an additional layer that's preventing the zero-day exploits from happening. So if I step back and simplify it, you've got a detection-based security architecture for all of those known bugs, and then you've got, in addition to that, a prevention-based architecture preventing the zero-day exploits ever reaching your network and your applications. So what does that look like? How does, how does that fit into what a security team already has in place? How does that change what they do with their team, change the network stack, whatever? Okay. What, what's that look like? 
once upon a time, and particularly in defence and government-related uh, uh, customers, that meant segregated networks, right. highly secure segregated networks that contained the uh, high-risk data and high-profile users were on that, but you had no internet access, there was no way of getting out. That's a very impractical architecture and concept. So today, the world of cloud and software has moved on. So today, Ericom offer uh, a range of cloud security services that are what we call isolation-based. So the concept is really simple. We isolate the internet to our networks and applications. I have a number of products with a number of use cases, okay. but let me just stick on the concept of isolation. So I, in, in a light-hearted way, I'll get across, don't trust the dirty internet. Right. Your attack could be coming from your users being clickbaited, to web pages having vulnerabilities, to malicious documents being loaded and innocently opened, to phishing attacks, to, you know, it's coming in a number of ways, very simple, right? And what we are saying is don't trust any of that. Isolate it, but don't block and prevent. So the security architect has a habit of saying, we are gonna maintain a high level of security, right. so we're gonna block access to all of these high-risk sites. And all that does is creates the tension between the security department, who are quite correctly protecting the corporate assets, and the user community who quite correctly want internet right. to all this value, you know, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. So security tends to block everything, the user, you know, the, the guerrilla user is then complaining. Security has to open up the, in, uh, the internet and increase, the, from their perspective, the security vulnerability. Right. And you've got this tension and battle continually going on of security teams blocking the internet and users, powerful users, demanding the, the access to the internet, to applications. So there's a big problem. Yeah. So the answer is give the users what they want, allow them to have access to applications that could be otherwise classified as uncategorized high risk. Give it, it could be legitimate. It could be really valuable data from these applications. Give them access to it, right? Give them access to the internet, but architected in a way, and I'll go back to this isolated, so yeah. prevented. So this concept of the dirty internet is otherwise referred to as a zero trust based architect. Right. I don't trust, I have zero trust of the internet and the apps. So if you had that mindset and were a security architect, you'd take a very different approach. You will create this isolation barrier. So you'll have your detection based security, but you'll also have a prevention based security. As long as the design of it is not impeding or impacting or limiting or restricting the user. And that's one of Ericom's claims to fame. We have invested significantly at maintaining a seamless user experience yep. without affecting the user experience. And the security architects and teams have got the highest level of security object through isolation. Yep. So I, I, have a, I have a sense that this is something that probably Ericsson is only able to do given where you sit in this world of, of internet and networking. So talk to me a little bit about some of the secret secret sauce without sharing the secret of how 
how this is possible? What, what do you sure. do? Sure. And actually, the truth of the matter, Sean, sure, yeah. technology innovation doesn't typically come from big companies. It comes from small companies right. like Ericom. So we created the technology through very advanced innovation. And when the market gets to a point of adoption, the bigger companies will then say, hey, we want some of that. And that's the story of the Ericsson cradle point interest in Ericom. So smaller companies invest in the innovation, they break the barriers. Then when the market gets to a point of requiring such higher levels of security, the bigger companies with the deeper pockets come in. What this means is, for a company like Ericom, the level of investment accelerates beyond right. what we would otherwise have experienced in the past. So this is what's massively exciting since the Ericsson cradle point investment in Ericom. We're taking market leading technology, innovation based technology, and watch that now accelerate through the investment. Nice. So. So tell me a bit about, uh, you don't have to name names of customers, but how, how do those conversations go? Um, how, how do you, who are you speaking to, yep. and what are you talking about? What, how do they have, what's that conversation like? Is sure. It, we, we know we've been compromised, or we've had an experience. Great how question. Do, yeah. So we are typically dealing with the CISO, the CIO, the CTO, security architects. Uh, the way... Cradle Point Cybersecurity Division takes the product to market. We have two uh, uh, simplified use cases. So the questions and the discussions are very easy. So the first question and use case, if you'd allow me to go down this route, is are you experiencing cybersecurity exploits? And the answer is inevitably yes. So we then ask the question about why, how did it happen? And it gives us an opportunity to talk about what I recently just explained to you, the signature-based uh, 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 detection solution and the prevention-based architecture. So that is a really nice lead-in, and that's uh, a really simplified way of getting directly to the point. If you're experiencing cybersecurity exploit, that's really damaging to a company. Uh, losing customer data, brand reputation, in, a, in certain industries it's fines, uh, and the reputational damage I is enough. Uh, you've also got recent uh, um, uh, ransomware threats where an attack is launched uh, and your website and uh, access to systems are locked and blocked until you pay a ransomware, or data exfiltration, where data is compromised and then somebody's either selling it or they want you to pay a money to get the data back. Right, the game's over by then. Right. Somebody's gonna lose their job. So that's a really easy inroad. And I have a really simple way of, you know, inevitably it's, well, that sounds very interesting. Uh, who's using the software? Uh, how can I get my hands on it? How can I test it? And that second part is really easy. We're a cloud-based solution, okay. nothing to install. Uh, within 15 minutes, we can create a proof of value, proof of concept environment, and live users could be accessing our cloud-based isolation service. So within minutes, the value of this isolation-based security can be used. We have several examples of customers having used it in that manner after a breach, 
and we don't turn it off. We actually move from the proof of concept to a live production environment uh, really quickly because the proposition is so compelling. Yeah. Right. So last question as we as we wrap here is all my years in in uh, well many early years were building security products. It was always a question of. How, how do you know it's doing what it's supposed to, especially in prevention, right? Yeah. When, in detection, you can you can get the alerts and everything. I'm wondering what kind of visibility do you bring to the team to show this is how we're helping you, so that they can then have that conversation with their executive team so, to, to say this investment was worth. So the concept of the architecture being an isolation based. Yeah means that the attack never reaches the company's network or applications. So we prove that during the proof of concept. Uh, there are other ways to identify if, attack, if an attack did happen and it was isolated, right? There are ways of proving that. I just want to finish off on yeah, the key use cases. So we talked about this prevention-based, access to the internet, mm -hmm. etc. don't trust the dirty internet. If I say that's use case number one. My next question is, do you use things like Zoom, Teams, WebEx? Mm. And my next question is, if you do, do you block use of that? And as a very high percentage of users don't, or companies don't allow users to access video conferencing solutions because of the vulnerabilities. If your endpoint was ever compromised, you now have access to Zoom, Teams, uh, uh, to, um, to the desktop, to the camera, uh, 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 and, and voice, and that's a, uh, um, you know, a security risk. So by isolating that, that's a great architecture. My last use case, and it's a very powerful one, is businesses are evolving with reducing the supply chain. We now want to get closer to our business partners, closer to our customers. We want customers and business partners to access our applications. If I now go to a security architect and I say, how are you going to do that? How are you going to give third party unmanaged devices access to your systems? That is one of the biggest dilemmas for a security architect because you can't control that endpoint. And we have a really neat solution we actually authenticate these unmanaged devices into our cloud service. Okay. We can set really granular policy, so Sean can only access OneDrive or uh, Outlook, Ravi can only access Salesforce and ServiceNow. I can set really granular policy. So when I'm authenticated, I'm then applying the reverse of the RBI. I run the HTML session of that authorized app in my isolated cloud. So if I can present the architecture, right. that dirty, unmanaged, third-party device, although they have full access to the corporate apps, they never access or touch my network. So it's a true right. zero trust on. One of our largest customers has got 250,000 users globally of business partners, customers, contractors, all with unmanaged devices. So if I speak to a security architect and I ask them, how are you managing access of third-party unmanaged devices? It's using legacy VPN. Right. 
right? And that, if I can tell you, you are giving a secure tunnel access to the network. Because if that unmanaged device was now compromised, you're now giving access to the network and the damage is done. I love that you went there with the tunnel because that's yeah. that's that's really the big difference, right? There you go. That's yeah. a, it, that's it's the, it's the access to you and then the you access to that, right? Whatever that is. Yeah, and it's not a tunnel through. Exactly. Yeah. So look at now this architecture. It's isolated. Yep. Yep. I've got really granular, very granular control over that unmanaged device without putting a client or an agent on it. Yep. Very granular. I can also see what was accessed. What, and I've got very granular policies. You can't print, you can copy, but you can't upload. So a lot of control. I love it. Well, Ravi, it's, uh, it's been great chatting with you. Um, really cool to hear about what you're doing there and congratulations on the, uh, the, the growth. Yeah. And I'm excited to see where things uh, continue to, to succeed for you. Fantastic. And uh, we're here at InfoSecurity Europe. Uh, by all means, if you're, if you're in the area, at the conference, come by and see Ravi and the team. We're in stand V88. V88, just yeah. outside the press room. In fact. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. and uh, back of the hall, uh, nice spot there. So Ravi, thanks a million. Um, good luck with the show. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Thank you for the opportunity, Sean. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.